Hey, good morning. How's everybody? <laughs> Listen, I'm going to bring a lot of energy today. A lot of energy, a lot of excitement. I'm going to put my mic on. We're about to get serious right now. If you've uh, never been here before, my name is Danny. I'm one of the speakers here at Kesson, and uh, I'm going to be sharing with you. I'm really excited today. Uh, we are wrapping up a series, Canvas, that we started uh, for a month ago. And inside that series, we announced all kinds of things about our downtown campus. And uh, last week, we actually talked about this, uh, these burn the ship cards. And these cards are basically asking people if they'd partner with us in giving, uh, and both through prayer, time, talent, and of course money, to help us uh, get through our transition and get the building ready for us all to, to, to move home there. So this week is the official first week of collecting those cards. So if you didn't put them in the offering, you can put them in the boxes in the back. You can also mail them in or now add it to kessadowntown.com. We have um, a whole card sheet that you can actually fill out and give there as well. And so you can check that out. And uh, we'd love for you guys to partner with us. And it, it's, it's exciting. It, it, we've had a lot of response already. Uh, Pastor Tom will come up probably once a month or so and update you guys on where we're at and what our next phase is and what's still needed. But uh, any specific questions for him, just again, go to that part of the website. And Tom's on there. His number's on there. His email's on there. We want to communicate well to you guys and make sure everybody's on the same page. Good? Good. All right. So that said, today is the fourth and final installment of the series. And... Um, my week started out kind of weird when it came to this talk because when I got in the car on Sunday, um, I, I told my wife, I'm, I'm done. The series is done. And she said, what are you, what are you talking about? And I said, that, that was it. That was, that's all I got. I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I've cast all the vision I can. I feel like I've responded to God. I feel really good for some reason, but I'm, I'm done with it. And she said, well, it's a, it's a four-week series. You're, the whole team, everybody's planning on a, it's a four-week series. And I said, well, I don't know about that. I, listen, I follow Jesus and his leadings, and I'm done. So I showed up Tuesday, and I said, listen, I'm done. All right, let's get a guest speaker in here and let's, uh, or, or some one of our other speakers. And they said, uh, no, no, that's, that's not going to work. And so I said, well, I, I feel great. I feel like I did what I was supposed to do, but I, I feel done. I, I don't have anything more to, there's not a fourth talk in this. And then I, I talked to one of my elders, and he said, there, there is a fourth talk in this, and you are speaking it. And, <laughs> and uh, I talked to some of my team, and they all agreed, and so, and so here I am, I guess. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That was, yeah, you're about as excited as I am right now, so I, I guess, I guess. Uh, uh, inside this series, uh, we did three primary things. So, so let me talk about those just for a second. We, first thing we did the first week is we remembered. We remembered through this video that we did called our Remembering Video, and it basically kind of captured Main Street Church building as it is right now, knowing that we're going to change it. It's full of textures and full of pictures, and we released that video, and people have been sharing it, and it's online, but just a really cool video because we wanted to make sure we, we, we stayed where we were and we remembered what came before us. Then the second week, we praised. The talk was called Every Praise, and we stopped in the midst, and we said, God, we want to thank you for what you're doing. We don't want to get caught up in the momentum of our own vision. We want to make sure and recognize that, that you are the reason this exists, and what's so great about that is I had a, an older lady come up to me and say, you know, I got to be honest, there was so much buzz after the remembering service that I was worried we were just going to get lost. Or we were just going to get lost in our own 
building our own stuff. And I loved that we stopped, right? I loved that we praised. I love that we reflected and, and brought back to God what is already his. Then last week, we did a talk called Burn the Ships. And we talked about with abandon moving forward. Not looking at what's behind, not looking at what keeps us where we are, but really asking God, how do we move forward? And we, 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 we basically asked the church to pray about giving time, talent, and treasure. We, we were very honest about what we thought would work and what we wanted to do. And, and we gave the cards and Tom shared. And, and when it was all said and done, I thought it went great. I went home, I took a nap, and I woke up and I was like, that was great. There's nothing more to be done. And as you already know, my team disagreed, so here I am. <laughs> now, what I decided to do, because it's the only thing I know to do, because I, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but I, I, I am a very authentic teacher. Generally, how I am comes out on, on how I teach. I, I have a really hard time teaching anything that I don't feel. Um, it's just a real big struggle for me. It always has been. And that's one of the reasons I'm not a teacher for hire. Uh, I don't travel a lot and speak a lot because I just don't want to go speak on your specific thing you're passionate about. If I don't care about it, I can't pretend to care about it. And so I decided that I would teach a talk today that I didn't want to give as if I wanted to give it. <laughs> okay? I purposely sat back and said, okay, let's just be where we are then. If everyone around me, including, it appears the Holy Spirit says there's a fourth talk. There's got to be a fourth talk. And so the first thing I did is I sat in where I was, and I felt what I feel, and I felt tired, but not that normal kind of tired, like that kind of tired after a good long run tired, right, where you're like, ah, oh, I feel good, I did what I'm supposed to, I'm going to take a shower, go to work, like you feel good about the job, and so once again, I confirmed with myself that I wasn't supposed to be giving the talk I'm now giving, because I felt good, but I also felt very reflective, and as I reflected on things, and this is probably still on my face right now as I share with you, I really began to realize as I shared with people that I was done and then I didn't want to give this talk, that I was really happy about it, that I was super joyous. It wasn't like, I'm done. I don't want to do it. I was like, I'm done. I'm all done. I, I did everything God asked me to do. And they're like, whoa, whoa, just relax a little bit. I'm like, I can't. I'm so excited. I mean, it's like I, I'm like on a runner's high. I'm, I, I, I'm just pumped to be here. So in my reflection of my tiredness, I wrote down two words that I'm feeling more than any other this week, and those words are happy and joyful. I'm really, really happy and joyful. I felt like the Grinch when his heart grew three sizes in one day. <laughs> right? You know, this, you know this image? Like I kind of hurt with contentment and peace. Like I was like, listen, I'm good. I, and, and here's the thing in being reflective about these feelings, I didn't know exactly why I was good. I just knew that I was good. I know uh, for a fact that it didn't come from some sort of circumstance that was alleviated or it's not emotionally charged. I mean, let's be clear. I just stood up in front of our church and put us in a fairly precarious position. We're going to move into a building and do a $2 million remodel. Yeah, it's exciting and super scary. And if not done well, there'll be no church at the end of it. We've all seen that happen. And so now that it's not that because that's happening. It's not that my life personally is going so much better than it was the week before. I still have personal struggles, things I've not overcome, stuff I'm still dealing with. So it's not circumstances. It's not just pure emotion. It's truly something different. And that intrigued me. And that bothered me. Why am I bothered by being happy and joyful? And why am I so done with this talk that I'm now giving? <laughs> 
And so I decided to do what you do when you're a teacher, and that's study it. I broke my study this week into two primary things. And my team, by the way, did not enjoy much of this. Because I basically said, if you're going to make me speak, I'm going to study why I don't think you should make me speak. And why I think, <laughs> and why I think I'm done. But I'm still going to speak, but I'm going to do it through a study about why I shouldn't have spoken in the first place. I broke my study down into two things. First thing I wanted to do was study this emotion that I was feeling and bothered by feeling. So I'm going to study, I decided all week long, happiness and joy from a biblical perspective. I'm going to study happiness and joy from a biblical perspective because none of my circumstances have changed and yet I feel a ton of happiness and joy. Second, from this lens, I'm then going to track by the day every happy or joyful experience I have over a week. Everyone, I'm going to write them down, and then that's what I'm going to talk on. Again, team not too excited, but they asked me to speak a talk I wasn't supposed to give. So what do you want me to do? Now, biblical lesson on happiness and joy. This is very small, very sweet, but really enlightening for me. Uh, it is common today to hear believers speak of a difference between joy and happiness. As a matter of fact, I figured I'd have to give two sub-talks because I'd have to define joy and happiness, because I've taught on joy and happiness before, and according to how I was taught, they're all very different. The teaching usually makes the following points when teaching on joy and happiness. Happiness is a feeling, but joy is not. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is everlasting. Happiness depends on circumstances or other people, but joy is a gift from God. Happiness is worldly, but joy is divine. In essence, most of the time this is taught, including the few times I've taught it over the past, I don't know, probably four or five years ago, joy is often presented as true contentment based on faith, and happiness, is, in contrast, is often thought of as false or superficial, emotionally dependent on circumstances. Now, I'm guessing most of us in this room, if I would have taught this talk, would have went like, yeah, unfortunately, I know a lot of that, but I do agree, great reminder of what happiness and joy is. Here's the sad part. You're all wrong, and so am I. <laughs> See, Scripture validates Scripture. Preachers don't validate Scripture. Scripture validates Scripture. So if you want to know what happiness and joy are, the only thing you've got to do is not pull up somebody's sermon. You've got to pull up the Bible. And when you are determined as happily and joyfully as I am to do it, uh, it was mind-blowing to realize I didn't know much about happiness and joy until uh, sometime in the middle of this week. Happiness and joy are actually not different. They're actually taught in a false dichotomy. There is nothing in the Bible that suggests we divorce joy from happiness. The two are completely equal. There is no such distinction made in Scripture. The Bible uses the word happy and happiness about 30 times interchangeably with the word joy or rejoice about 300 times. In the Bible, if a person is happy, then he or she is also joyful. When God's Spirit then gives someone joy, they are then naturally happy. We are called as Christians to be joyful, and happiness should characterize our everyday lives. I sat in that, it's about a six-hour study, and I said, profound. What does that have to do with anything? I feel it, I like it, I apparently need to correct my teaching of it, but so what? Still don't want to give the talk. But I'm happy about it. <laughs> and I understand better, I'm also joyful about it. So that's good. That's good. So how does it relate to my condition? Well, first, 
You have to understand something about happiness and joy the Bible does say. There are different types of joy and happiness. Although they are the same thing, there are different types of them, even though they are the same. There is first a joy that comes from the world, such as the fleeting pleasure of sin spoken of in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 24, and 25. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. This is a really special verse for this particular uh, theological discussion because this idea that the writer of Hebrews is saying that Moses chose not to enjoy sin means sin can be enjoyed, means you can find joy in sin. Therefore, all of us who grew up thinking joy is only from God would be really have a problem with this. Either you're wrong or they really translated this poorly and the writer of Hebrews didn't know what they were doing. I'm going to go with the book. I'm going to say you probably don't know what you're doing and neither did I when I taught they were different. And so this basically points out that you can enjoy sin. So happiness is not only sin related because, and joy is not only God related because according to the writer of Hebrews, you can enjoy sin. Solomon also tried the world's brands of what people would probably describe as happiness and found it to be lacking, Ecclesiastes 2, 1 and 2. I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Here it is. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I think most of us who differentiate joy from laughter, or I'm sorry, joy from happiness, would say happiness is more on the pleasure and laughter scale. If you were to try to argue that argument, and joy is again on the contentment and God scale. The Hebrews verse points out you can enjoy sin. And the Ecclesiastes verse points out that happiness is obviously also something not worthwhile. What Solomon is saying is even happiness outside of God isn't happiness. It's fleeting. It's, it's missing its true meaning. You see, the study pointed out for me this. It's not about defining how happiness and joy are alike or different. It's all about, and I'll put it on the screen, discovering where your happiness and joy come from. There's two different kinds of happiness and joy, which are the same thing. There's one that is provided by the world, and there's one that is provided by God. And you have to decide where you're getting your happiness and joy from, not whether or not they are the same or different. The study then uncovers a simple question, the one I just asked, which is, are we happy in the Lord, or are we content with the happiness the world affords? Are you okay with fleeting happiness? And has that somehow fit into your life in a way that you think it's actually spiritual joy as if they were different? But in truth, you've actually bought in to this, this, uh, this feeling that isn't what it appears to be, and yet at the very same time is. For joy and happiness can be found in the world. They're just fleeting and not life-giving. It is only the joy and happiness that is found in God that brings purpose and his presence into our life. The joy of the world is hollow, but the joy of the Lord is rich and abundant. The world's happiness will fade with time, but God's people will be happy forever. And then maybe the happiest verse in the whole Bible, Isaiah 35.10, says this. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy, will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I don't know if you've ever been rescued, but I think the feeling of happiness and joy would probably be uh, undeniably present on your face. This 
verse is a proclamation that that is what God is trying to bring to you and to me. And I believe it's what Jesus is describing when he says in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think what happiness and joy lived with the source connected to God are is life abundant. And I think that where we've broken this in our, in, our, in our world is that like we try to separate happiness from joy and figure out which one's God and which one's evil, when instead recognizing they can be the, the same thing but different, one from the world, one from God, I think also we've tried to separate life and abundance when they are actually very much so the same thing. For Christ said, I came to bring life and life abundantly. God never brought anything part way. He brings every, everything all the way. So every time in Scripture when God says, I'm here to bring life, he's always intending to bring life according to his own words, Scripture and Scripture, validating each other abundantly. He's bringing life with joy and happiness. He's bringing life with purpose. And like we've theologically separated joy and happiness, we theologically, I think, separate life and abundance. We just accept that we're going to suffer. We just accept that we can't get through it. We just accept that there, that there is no way that we can function in a, in, in, inside our lives right now and find joy and happiness because that's not what God brought. He, he came to bring life and forgiveness for my sins, and he wants to change my heart, but he doesn't really want me to be happy about it. He doesn't really want me to enjoy it. He wants to kill the old man, but he doesn't want me to find joy in the birthing of the new, and that's not what Scripture says. It says he came to bring life and to bring life abundantly, an abundance God gave through his son for his people. You see, I think what may have happened to me is that through the series, because it was so nuanced because it couldn't be planned because we would do a Sunday and then spend time listening to our church and listening to you guys and then we'd tweak a service and then we'd spend time listening. Normally you can plan services four, five, six weeks out. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes and tweaks them, but not like he was tweaking us day to day to day to day. I mean, this was like cracking a spiritual safe. And we were like, click, 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 click. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's the service. All right, good. Next service, click, click, click. Click, click, that's it. We'll do that one. We'll do that one. It, we were so in tune. I specifically was so concerned, is a better word, with making sure that I was where God wanted as I presented this money stuff and building stuff and vision stuff that abundance began to happen in my life. Now, the bill didn't get paid. The church didn't get built. There's still drama, and I still got personal problems. I started off the sermon with that. But I still lived out of that abundance to the point that at the end of the three-week talk, I was like, I'm filled up. I got nothing more to give these people. If they don't like, I told one guy, hey, if they don't like that, they, we're not the church for them. Back to my shrink the church plan, right? Because you realize if we just shrink the church, we could all fit in there much sooner. <laughs> it's two million or two people. You decide, okay? I don't know. I don't know which two, but two million or two people. That's, it, 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 it's this beautiful, broken place that I was where I was okay not being here because God was so already there. And I sat in this place and then I remembered my second plan, which was to, to track what a life abundantly lived looked like. And the first thing I thought that was going to happen, I really did once I realized that I think I'm living out of abundance right now. I think I've spent three solid weeks just truly trying to seek what God wanted for our church, and now I'm just filled up with his presence, and I'm content even though nothing's better. You know what's going to happen this week? 
tons of people are going to come to Jesus. I'm going to be walking down the street. I'm going to see a guy, and I'm going to look over. Yep, and I'm going to look over. I'm going to be like, oh, that's who Jesus wants me to minister to. And I'm going to go minister to him and her, and all these people are going to come to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that, hey, 50-some-odd people came to Christ because I lived abundantly, and it's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, that's, that's not what happened at all. <laughs> no one came to Jesus this week. We can clap if you want, but no one came. Not, not in my world. Instead, you know what happened? The whole thing started Sunday afternoon. I went home. When I woke up, I was on my way to do a dinner with some friends, and my wife noticed that we had a dead dragonfly in the driveway. My wife said, look at that dead dragonfly in the driveway. I said, that's a pretty good-looking dragonfly, and it's complete. You know what we should do? We should bring it and give it to Lincoln Wade, who's eight years old, at the barbecue we're going to. She said, what is Lincoln going to do with it? I said, I'll show him. So I went to the barbecue. I walked in and, of course, first showed all my friends. Look at this dead dragonfly I found in my driveway. And they're like, that's disgusting. And I'm like, it's beautiful. The only person who was excited was Lincoln. <gasps> yes. Lincoln, look at this dead dragonfly I found in my driveway. He said, that's amazing. You never get to touch dragonflies. They're too fast to see. I said, right? And he's perfect. I said, here's what you should do. You should get a string, like a really thin piece of string, and you should hang it in your room somewhere so it looks like he's flying, and then he'll dry up there, and you can have him forever. He instead went and got a huge piece of rope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he tied it around there without breaking the thing in half. And he came out swinging it like this. And it was awesome. Everybody was freaking out. I asked Monty three days later, hey, how's Lincoln's dragonfly? She said, I was trying to eat a bowl of cereal the other day, and all he was kept doing was flying in front of my face. He loves that thing. Why'd you have to give him a dread, dead dragonfly? And I was like, because it's fun, because we were playing. And I realized that's the most important thing I did Sunday. I played. And it was awesome. It was my abundant way of living. Monday came around. Monday I was excited. I figured it was going to be something epic. I'd already found a dead dragonfly. <laughs> I went out to uh, take my trash down to the road because my trash goes down on Mondays. And I discovered to my horror that almost all of my garbage cans had been chewed on the side of the lids. None of them were open, just huge gnawing holes. And I suddenly realized instantly just how that one squirrel we have weighs twice as much as everybody else on my property. <laughs> I have a fat trash squirrel at my house. And I went into my wife and I said, I'm waging war upon this trash squirrel. And he's super cute, but I, I don't know what to tell you because he eats through lids. And he can hardly climb trees. He's so fat. I'm probably helping him out by figuring this out. I waged war on Monday. Most important thing I did against the trash squirrels that I have. Did you show pictures of my lids? Look at those things. It's ridiculous. And those are brand new. Those are 48-hour-old lids. Brand new. I, it's craziness. I don't understand it. But I'm going to fix it because him and I, we're going at it this week. Tuesday came around. Tuesday, I finally saved somebody. It was my 13-year-old little girl who found out, with her permission I shared this, that she, she has braces and she's a good brusher, but she finally got a cavity. And she sent me this text. I have a cavity, Dad. I said, I'm so sorry. I bet that's really hard. It is. I said, you'll be okay, though. And she sent me these words. I won't survive this. <laughs> oh, to be 13 with a cavity, right? Like that's your, I will not survive the cavity. I just like... I said, you will, baby. I promise I love you. She said, I love you too. And the rest of the day, I texted her about this cavity and that night and the next morning, and I saved her because she's, she's ready. She's ready. 
Later Tuesday, I also experienced something. I experienced surprise. Because Tuesday, I don't know where I was coming from, but I got a little close to a lady who couldn't decide if she wanted to go straight or take a right at a green light. And this lady decided to finally take a right without a blinker, and she flipped me off. But she flipped me off to the rhythm of the song she was listening to the whole way. <laughs> and I was like, that, that, you know, I'm impressed, and I'm surprised. And, you know, I don't like it because I didn't think it was appropriate. But I understood at least that she was really giving it her all, and that's what happened on Tuesday. <laughs> Just to the rhythm, like, I was like, oh, okay, all right. Probably goes to our church. You're probably here right now like, ooh. <laughs> and you're probably singing a worship song too, like every praise to our God, every word of worship. That's terrible. You, that's terrible. Not appropriate at all. Wednesday. Wednesday was a busy day. Wednesday started off with a coffee with my son. And uh, it was a, just a really good coffee. My, my son lives, uh, he doesn't live in our house, he's 21, but we get to see each other, but not have coffee as often as I'd like, and we just had a really great talk, and I actually got in the car, and it overwhelmed me how good the talk was, and I cried. Started off my Wednesday crying. Then, uh, immediately after that, somehow, some way, I don't remember exactly, I was notified that someone had taken a picture of my dog. This is the same day. This is my dog, Vandal. Vandal's a Mastiff that I have. And someone notified me that someone I don't know, I don't even know if they're, I'm assuming they must be on the East Coast somewhere else, has tattooed a picture of my dog on their leg. <laughs> like, that's on Pinterest right now. And I'm like, what? And people are like, why does this person have your dog on their leg? Do you know them? And I'm like, no, I have no idea who this is. And so I laughed because some guy's walking around with a picture of my dog on his leg forever. <laughs> Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. But then this is what happened, because I'm, I'm, life happens like this, right? Because of the tattoo, I started thinking about tattoos. So on my way to my next meeting, I stopped by a tattoo shop in town where a friend works as a tattoo artist. And while I'm there, the guy he's working on is getting a face tattoo. And I'm talking a full half face tattoo. And you can kind of feel the vibe in the place, like, woo, this is this is intense. And so me being in the place I am, walk up and go, bro, that's a nice face tattoo. And he said, do you think? And I said, it's probably the nicest face tattoo I've ever seen up close. Because it is. <laughs> he then begins to share with me, sitting in the chair in front of everybody, why he's getting the tattoo. And that basically stuff happened to him as a kid. And he was abused. And this is a way of taking back him. And he got emotional, and I got a little emotional, and we're all sitting there, and then right, right, almost at the perfect time, when this guy's like kind of bonding, and we're kind of connecting, and he's probably thinking, you want to get your face tattooed as well, you know? But right about then, my friend says, by the way, Danny's a pastor, and this guy about lost it, because he's been talking pretty casually about his life. And I said, bro, bro, listen, I get it. I get it. And he just kind of looked at me like, I think you might. And so Wednesday, I hurt for a guy that has been through stuff I've not been through, who's expressing his hurt in a way that I don't, that I don't think I would choose. But you know what? I don't really know because I haven't been through what he's been through. But I was present. 
and I was living with him in that place. Thursday, Thursday I cuddled. Camille and Michael Tice bought their brand new baby boy Everett to the office. There was a bunch of ladies there and me. I cuddled him, and I was by far the best cuddler in the room. (laughs) He liked me more than them. He spent more time with me, and he almost cried when I had to give him up. And I enjoyed every second that he was there. While that was happening, um, the young lady who's actually executing our service today, Savannah, was sharing, as you do when you're just with people sharing about life, she started to share about her and Carson, her uh, nine-year-old son, and how they had gotten into a fight. And that happens. I also have a strong-willed child, and so this, I related, is what I did with her. As she shared with me that Carson told her at the end of one of their fights, as he rode off down the neighborhood road on his bike, I'm going to buy a new mom on Craigslist. (laughs) I'll see you in five months, or maybe I won't. (laughs) See, I relate to this story because my same Elena, when she was about three, uh, we took her trick-or-treating one time and lost her. Uh, she was with a group of kids, and after about three houses, I realized I had lost Elena. She was a very Carson-like child, very strong-willed child, very independent child. And so I went back very nervously to each house trying to figure out where she was. And sure enough, as I came up to the, the, one of the first houses we went to, another group of kids went up, knocked on the door, and those two older people came out who lived there, along with my three-year-old who was drinking a Pepsi and handing out candy like she lived in the house. <laughs> Thanks for coming, trick or treat, appreciate it. They shut the door, walked back in, and I was like, so I went and knocked on the door, and there she is again. They opened the door, like, oh, did you forget somebody? And Lainey's sitting there, and I was like, no, she's mine. And they said, we wondered who she was. She just came in and said, hey, I'm thirsty, and walked in and opened our fridge. As the, as the group left, they were like, we don't know whose little girl this is. So they just kept her. They just kept her. And she was helping them trick-or-treat ever since. So, I, so, so on Thursday, I related to Savannah's story, and I, we shared that, and we laughed, and, and it, was, it was fun. <laughs> Friday came about. Friday came about, and I learned. I had lunch with one of my longtime mentors, someone I haven't connected with in probably six, eight months. And he was a guy that, that when he would share, at least for me, I would filter certain things. Like everyone should with their mentors. Everyone should with anybody who helps them, any, any coach you have. Filter. You should be filtering me. And what I say, again, Scripture and Spirit is the only balance by which we live our life. So this mentor, though, was different. And I stopped him about halfway through our time together, and I said, what is different about you? Something's different about you. Your tone, your, you're, you're just much more caring, much more loving. Something's happened. And he started to share with me about what we thought and what he thought had maybe happened in his life. And it was this beautiful experience where I realized instantly that this man who I respect, who's far further than I am, in leadership and, and, and wisdom and all these things, could still experience the transformation of God's love and, and still be in progress. And it, I left this meeting so encouraged and so challenged. And so I wrote down that on Friday with him, I learned. And then lastly, on Friday, I rested. I had dinner with some friends who did nothing but take my wife and I to Portland to some wonderful dinner and just spoil us. And then they took us to a dessert place and I walked up to the case and I saw this cream puff swan. And I asked the lady, can I have that cream puff swan? And she said, children buy those. And I said, I'll take it. <laughs> and so I ate this cream puff swan and I rested with friends that just invested in our lives and hung out with us and loved on us. And I lived abundantly. You see, 
I have a feeling the only reason this life is any different than any other week is not because I, I ate a cream puff swan or because some lady flipped me off to the rhythm of her song, but because I was aware of the abundance that Christ as my source had blessed me with because I had spent time with him the previous three weeks listening more intently than maybe I ever have to what he wanted from me. But see, I don't think this is just a pastoral thing or maybe even a Christian thing. I think when we're really present, when we're really connected with how we're supposed to live, I believe God has designed us to experience these things. I found a um, uh, the, the top 100 tweets so far of 2017, the parent tweets of 2017, tell me if you don't relate like to these things about these kinds of abundant living when it comes to your kids. This person says, me, I asked my child, did you have a good day at school? The six-year-old says, that's not how school works. <laughs> Four-year-old says, can I have some of your candy? Wife says, I got this for Mother's Day. Four-year-old says, you're only a mom because of me. <laughs> this is Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds says, I went to Disneyland because my daughter's obsessed with Mickey Mouse. She was so excited when I got home and told her. <laughs> in case you were on the fence about having kids, anybody in the room, my three-year-old threw a temper tantrum because her tongue is pink. <laughs> I like this one from a mom. You will never realize your full potential for speed and agility until the day you see your toddler holding a Sharpie marker. How many people in the room relate like, ah, oh, you do rolls, stuff you didn't even know, you're bouncing off walls, doing, you know, Matrix-style grabs of the marker before it goes on your futon cover. I relate, I relate. All right, next one. When a three-year-old gets all serious and looks deep into your eyes, you're not having a moment, they're just pooping. <laughs> this is my very favorite one. A year ago today, my son tried to order the penguin off this menu. <laughs> <laughs> I get like, I'm like, mm, no, mm, no, I'll take the penguin. <laughs> like, what do you think? Like, thank you very much. Like, like I, I, this is living life abundantly. This is people who were present enough to notice the absurdity and the excellence that exists within everyday living. And this is what I was able to experience this week and what I think I'm supposed to bless you guys with. See, this is a talk I was never supposed to give because there really is no talk. There is a series that was a three-part series that I'm going to show you in just a minute. I think perfectly through the Holy Spirit's guidance lined us up to be where we're at right now. But the truth is, this isn't doing something. This is being something. I'm not really giving a talk today. I hope you see through my notes that I'm being a talk this week. And not because I figured it out, but because I was forced to by family and friends to do something I didn't want to do that I did while keeping track and filled with God's presence. And maybe that is some of the secret. I watched a TED Talk recently of a monk who spent 25 or 30 years studying happiness. I want to show you a video they made with that TED Talk, and then I'm going to come back up and close this. Please watch. There's something that we know about everyone we meet anywhere in the world, and that is that all of us 
want to be happy. By experiencing, by becoming aware that every moment is a given moment, as we say. It's a gift. You haven't earned it. You haven't brought it about in any way. You have no way of assuring that there will be another moment given to you. Grateful living, that's the most valuable thing that can ever be given to us. We have to stop. We have to get quiet. And when you stop, then the next thing is to look. You look, you open your eyes, you open your ears, you open your nose, you open all your senses for this wonderful richness that is given to us. Whatever life offers to you in that present moment, if we take this opportunity, go with it. Stop, look, go. That's all. He goes on to say that entering into happiness is about as easy as crossing a road because that's where he got that from, this idea of stopping, looking, and going. When you stop and look and go and you, and you enter into happiness, it takes intentionality. So I started thinking about that and I started thinking about all the sad people that I know. I started thinking about all the sad weeks that I've lived. And I started wondering, I wonder if, if perhaps the reason so many people are unhappy is because they've never tried it. They've actually never entered into a place with intentionality and said, I'm gonna notice the dead dragonflies and the cream puff swans. I'm going to go to war with trash squirrels. I'm going to laugh when people offend me. I'm going to engage when people are, are scary to me. I'm going to be present in my situation. And I'm not going to do it because it's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it because it's how I'm supposed to be. See, if God is my source for joy and happiness, then wherever I am, I can find happiness no matter my circumstances. And I am a living example this week of that. Now here's where it gets really, really special. See, this video wasn't shown to me till far after the series had already been completed. And the series, as I already told you, was very nuanced and very slow and and very specific in how it was built. And at the end of the series, I felt very full and complete and finished, which is why I'm giving a talk I didn't want to give. When the video came to me, I don't know if you've picked up on it yet, but I certainly did. I suddenly realized that perhaps what God was doing through the video was highlighting what God was doing through our church that only he could get credit for. This expert on happiness said that happiness comes from people who stop Look and go. That's how it happens. And when you look at our series, think about this first week. 
we remembered. We stopped where we were and we looked back. We saw what was given, we saw what was brought to us, and we honored it. Then from there, we did a talk called Every Praise. We looked. We looked up at God, we looked at the blessing of His, of His, 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 His assurance of faith and the building and each other, and we brought praise to Him. And then the third week, the week entitled Burn the Ships, we challenged people to leave what was and go. To leave the life that was keeping them where they were and go. God all on his own taught us to stop, look, and go. For he is the designer of happiness. The video simply pointed out what we had already done, which at the end of three weeks of me doing to depth I had never done before, I was so full of abundance and life and purpose that everything around me seemed to be something to be used for God's glory, which brought me incredible happiness and incredible joy. My hope today is that you reflect on your own life, that you stop and remember, that you look and give praise, that you go and burn the ships of whatever is distracting you, and that you focus your life not upon accomplishing great things, but upon what God has already brought to you that's already at your feet, in your driveway, at your friend's house, in a store, walking down the street, driving, sitting in church, sitting with a spouse, sitting by yourself. If you can find this place, then perhaps you can live a life of incredible abundance, experiencing beyond the shadow of your imagination his joy and his happiness and joy and happiness that only he can give. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can do that, if I can stay in that place, then we will paint a canvas like this world has never seen before, bringing glory to Jesus and only Jesus. Amen. We stand. We're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is you and you alone that we bring our glory to. It is you and you alone that we bring our worship to. It is you and you alone that we bring our joy and happiness to. For God, you are the source. You are the purpose and you are the reason that we exist as a community. May you leave with every person in this room, challenging them, growing them, developing them. May they see you in everyday living. May they experience you in the loud and the quiet. We praise you, Father, for you are worthy of our praise. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you guys for coming. God bless. We'll see you next week.